Welcome back to your Hard in the Paint NBA podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I'm your host, Matt. This week, I don't have Michael for this episode, uh, just due to some scheduling issues. So he'll be back for the next episode. And we have all sorts of NBA to talk about. I um, actually was, at the time of recording this, the Sixers just evened up the Toronto series. So that will go to a Game 7 in Jurassic Park. Uh, but before we get to the main part of this episode, we'd like to thank Doritos for sponsoring this episode of Heart in the Paint Podcast. Uh, if you're like me, you always enjoy... A good bag of Doritos, whether you're snacking on the road, maybe you're at work, maybe you're just trying to have something with a nice, uh, flavorful Mountain Dew, you too can enjoy Doritos Nacho Cheese. Flavored is my favorite. I have all sorts of great flavors, though. Uh, I think Nacho Cheese is the best, particularly on the Doritos Locos Tacos, too. Uh, but Doritos, they, uh... Only have 140 calories per individual bag. Uh, you even get two grams of protein in there and uh, a decent amount of carbs for your diet. So fantastic on that regard, as well as they are gluten-free, which is, I know, a big deal for many of you listeners out there. So feel free to snack boldly with Doritos. You can find uh, Doritos, of course, at your local grocery, or you can go to... Uh, the Facebook page, the Twitter page, or their own website, Doritos.com, and use promo code HARD for a free bag of Doritos with your next purchase. So again, uh, thank you Frito-Lay and Doritos for making the movie magic happen. And uh, what a great segue to talk about Avengers Endgame, which is going to be all I'm going to mention this episode because I went to go see that uh, pretty, I think the day after we recorded the last episode, and, uh, since then I've really been thinking about writing my own movie, I don't know, so I've been on, like, a little bit of a writing binge this week, uh, so maybe whenever that gets done, I don't think I'll ever, I, I always have this problem where I start a bunch of projects and then don't ever actually see them through, whether it's I get bored of it or there's some technical problem or real life gets in the way. So, but we'll see. I, you know, always wanted to try and do something a little bit creative when it comes to writing. So we're trying something out and I'm trying to kind of mirror it off of the Avengers format of, you know, three or four individual stories with movies that have, kind of tie-ins to all the other movies that then culminate into this massive epic. Uh, so sort of like a four to five piece thing, just like the Avengers where it was, it, you know, there's five Avengers. Each one kind of has their own movie. Then they all come together for some penultimate masterpiece. And the, wow, was Endgame a masterpiece? Uh, let me just get this out of the way now in terms of, I've probably seen, I've only missed just a few Marvel movies. I, I missed Thor Ragnarok, I missed Doctor Strange, and I missed Ant-Man 2, and I missed the newer Spider-Mans, but those don't really play a huge role in Avengers. Um, so, with all that in mind, I'm going to put Endgame at like, 
is within my top five of the current of this infinity saga i guess of the thanos saga of marvel movies uh and in terms of just the avengers movies in their sort of the out of those four i think it's my second favorite i think i still like avengers one better because i think avengers one it just had a so much more this movie was epic like don't get me wrong but avengers one was kind of the first one of its kind it was the first idea of culminating all these separate movies together finally seeing all these characters interact for the first time uh, so there's a lot of cool things that that happened there just off of it being kind of the first. Um, and Endgame really just takes all that to the extreme. So Michael couldn't be here for this episode, so he sent me a list of predictions and notes uh, that he wanted me to go through and to kind of let, let him know how much he got right. Uh, and I know in, I think it was two episodes ago, we kind of made some empty bold predictions and we got a lot of those right i i got to listen to some of them and i was like huh we didn't do so bad um and obviously i, I kind of read a lot of the spoilers before i went into the movie so i knew kind of how it ended i knew how people died before i watched the movie but uh that didn't really spoil it for me uh the the, the way in which things happen it totally makes even knowing the end result worth watching so um we'll just hop right into this list of michael's notes so uh his first prediction is uh the first 10 minutes is all hawkeye so the audience remembers he still exists uh and this is not that far off really i mean the movie opens with hawkeye uh, it's not really 10 minutes but uh it's maybe more like five or six but you're absolutely right uh Everybody kind of forgot about Hawkeye in Infinity War, and he actually plays a decently critical role in this movie. Um, he does a couple of things. There's going to be a bunch of spoilers here, but uh, basically in the first five minutes, he is kind of out and about on his ranch with his family. He's obviously been on house arrest since Civil War, and he's kind of training his daughter how to use the bow. Uh, and then the snap happens and his whole family disappears and he goes into sort of a vigilante rampage, kind of turns into Ronan, uh, the assassin who then Scarlett Johansson has to go later on and rescue to sort of bring back to the Avengers. Uh, and then later on in the movie, uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye uh, go reclaim the soul stone when they travel back in time and uh their sort of love affair from the first movie kind of gets rekindled and uh black widow ends up killing herself to get the soul stone and then hawkeye takes it back and of course you can't reclaim deaths from vormir so uh, and then later 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 on in the movie he ends up with the gauntlet in kind of the last battle. So, yeah, he's uh he's not like the most important avenger, but he's uh he does some pretty important things. I think that's one thing this movie does a pretty good job of is everybody really gets their time time to shine. And then Michael asks, 
is Hawkeye the Andrew Wiggins of the Avengers. An interesting prospect because missing for whole halves in games. And uh, his analogy here is games as movies. Uh, I think that's kind of fair. I think the problem is they really had a hard time balancing his power level. Uh, you know, we kind of saw him do pretty good in Avengers 1. But then they didn't really hit on his sort of like secret history between him and Black Widow. So maybe it's something we'll see more of next year when the Black Widow movie comes out. Which certainly has to be a prequel. But I imagine there's some way they could make it not a prequel. And maybe this is a good time for me to state that kind of the next really big movie that people are looking forward to in the MCU, and most of this has been leaked at this point. So uh, before I get into like kind of the newest MCU set of heroes, uh, the new Spider-Man Far From Home, within that new trailer, they talk about how uh, sort of reverting all the stones and uns basically the unsnapping uh op opened up multiple like dimensions within their reality and i think that explains sort of those elementals as well as mysterio but that obviously plays into the upcoming marvel universe they've kind of written themselves a get out of jail free card in in terms of making things plausible for like a timeline which is uh pretty nice but that leads into the Immortals, or the, not the Immortals, the Eternals, which is kind of like the Greek version of Thor, but there's no like super central character. It's like a collective group of people. So you've got people like Circe and Eros and Icarus, you know, those kinds of things. And they're all kind of that superhuman almost mutant-esque where they all are like, like super strength and super speed and like basic telekinesis and other things. But each one, of course, has a specialty. Um, and really the big deal why people are focusing on this one is not only is it kind of a lesser-known Marvel franchise, uh, kind of like Guardians was, you know, 10 years ago before they made a movie about it. And it also fits in that sort of intergalactic space-faring timeline which they were teased within guardians one uh thanos is actually a son of a okay so he's kind of like a stepchild eternal i guess is the way to put it uh so there's these beings that sort of created the world they're like these kind of god characters kind of like more gods than the olympus gods and they, of course, have, they kind of screw around with the evolutionary hierarchy of all these different planes they visit, uh, which kind of gets them into this loophole of making mutants a thing again, but that's kind of besides the point. But some of their experiments with, you know, evolution on Earth or on Cree or these other places go well, and you get things like, uh, I would assume, like Captain Marvel with these sort of recessive genes that can be activated at certain moments, uh, as well as you get normal people, uh, you get like mutants, you get these super gods that are the actual like eternals, and then you get these things called deviants, which are like kind of the 
chaotic failed experiments that are always trying to fight the Eternals in this like yin yang sort of circle of uh, rejects versus uh, perfection type thing. And the most, the example of these that we've already seen is the scrolls are technically spawn of like the deviant race from the Eternals, as well as Thanos is one of these. And you can tell because they're kind of uglier. They're a little bit warty. They aren't really humanoid anymore, but they still possess a lot of the innate powers of like intelligence, speed, strength, stamina, those kinds of things. So that was a long way to say that that's kind of the, the movie that might tie sort of phase one and phase two together. Uh, that being said, Michael predicted correctly that the Avengers go through space and time travel, which is absolutely right. Uh, however, the way that the Avengers movie explains it is by um, basically you go back in the time stream and if you change something, it creates sort of a parallel offshoot time stream that may or may not intersect back into this Mobius strip time continuum. Uh, so that's kind of explains like this multidimensional portal theory from uh, the next Spider-Man, as well as why some characters do and don't come back, why the old movies still exist the way they do in the time stream. Uh, it, it it kind of writes them out of some weird corners in terms of butterfly effects and the weird like back to the future type events. Uh, so yeah, so far Michael's basically two for two. Uh, so his next point is Thanos gets overexposed in his seven game series with the Avengers. So he has a little explanation here. He says infinity war is game one of the NBA finals where the Avengers have home court advantage, get complacent and lose game one think 2004 finals with Detroit stunning the Lakers but then he says over the course of the series the Avengers figure out the mismatches so the Avengers win in six in the OG 232 format um, yeah that's part of it uh, they do some flashbacks to scenes where Captain America says, if we win together, we win together, and we're going to go in together, and if we lose, we lose together. And that was apparently part of the one in 14 million different outcomes. So maybe you could say he gets exposed, but at the same time, it's not really the same Thanos that dies. So... Eh. Um, so he has two theories here on time travels. So he says one is the time stone and two is the actual Avengers with the brain power of Iron Man, Ant-Man and the Hulk to build a time travel device. And that is exactly right. So of course in the movie, uh, we're lucky enough to have this rat step on a control panel to get uh, Ant-Man out of the subatomic universe that he was in and got stuck in at the end of Ant-Man 2. He comes out and he goes to the Avengers HQ and in that subatomic time stream he sort of discovered how to warp through time in a sense. I mean he, he said he was only in there for like five days but it was really five years 
over the course of Earth's existence. Um, so him and he try and convinces Iron Man to work on it and Iron Man figures out it's a Mobius strip time stream and then him and Hulk figure out how to use the PIM particles so that you can kind of shrink down, not get screwed up when you reappear in the past. And that's kind of the, the basis of their time travel is they go use these PIM particles as well as this basically team-wide time travel machine and they shrink down phase through time backwards to go try and grab the stones before Thanos grabs them uh, which leads into Michael's next point which she got right the Avengers go back in time to get the stones before Thanos um, and thus setting up the idea of the multiverses which yeah sure you, you got right uh, the better part is is there's a scene or two where they kind of knock how time travel works in all the other movies like other popular time travel movies like Back to the Future, um, you know, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journeys. So, yeah, so far you're four for five here, Michael. Uh, his next point is Scarlett Johansson changes her hairstyle again, similar to the number of teams Rondo has been on. I don't think she... She has at least one hairstyle change in the movie, but I don't know if it's a different hairstyle. So I'll give you half a point on that one, maybe. Um, so the next point is, the story is more about the emotional journey, reflection, and closure than just battling a Thanos at the end. Because it's time travel, there are multiple Thanoses. Uh, A.K.A. the same thing the Lakers tell themselves over the summer when they whiff on the AD trades and multiple free agents. So you're kind of right here. Uh, actually, you're pretty much mostly right here. So, uh, the sort of penultimate battle, the climax of the movie, they're technically fighting the Thanos from before the snap in the present day after the unsnapping. So they aren't really fighting that universe's, that time stream's Thanos. They're fighting their past time streams Thanos so you're right there they're fighting in multiple Thanoses and you're also right in that it's a very emotional reflective uh, closing journey we, we kind of wrap up a ton of loose ends in this movie uh, most notably Tony Stark um, we'll get to the deaths later that was a really easy spoiler um, but even things like people going back in time uh, we get Thor that goes back in time to see uh, Natalie Portman again as well as his mother and that plays sort of an important role in Thor regaining his vigor um, because all of these kind of the main Avengers I really want to say the big three you know Cap, Iron, and Thor have one personality flaw that's kind of stuck with them through all three movies I mean we have Captain America who still can't let go of the past and he gets closure at the very end of the movie uh, Iron Man, who's always kind of been in this weird spot of the good for me is not the good for everyone else type thing. A little bit of a selfish good guy. And then Thor's always had the problem of having to f 
fit into his kind of bloodborne role of the next king of uh Asgard and each one of them struggles with that problem in their flash in the not in the flashback but in the time jump backwards and kind of awakens some vigor within them to proceed through the movie and that's that's a big deal and maybe one of my favorite scenes that ties into this in the movie is when Cap and Iron Man have to go back twice into the past well I guess I'll start with the first one so they're going back to get the time stone or no not the time stone it's the space stone that was in the Tesseract from Avengers 1 so they go back to New York in 2014 and they do some interesting shenanigans to almost steal the Tesseract from the Hydra agents that end up taking it at the end of Avengers 1 Um, but they kind of screw up their own time stream and end up losing it to Loki who vanishes with it. So instantly right there, they've made a separate multi-universe where Loki gets the Tesseract back and gets freed. He never gets imprisoned for Avengers 2. Uh, So that totally screws everything. So then they decide to go back again to, I think it's the 60s where they're doing the first Captain America super serum tests and Howard Stark and Hank Pym are working uh, to figure out the time stone in this bunker army base. And this is not only great because Cap goes to steal more Pym particles, but it's also great in the respect that we get a really interesting scene between... Tony actually meeting his dad. And that was like, I think that was the the best interaction between the past and the present people because we never, and Tony has kind of always had a little bit of spitefulness for his dad, but at the same time, like reverence for him being a genius and setting him up in life and that kind of stuff. So it was really cool to see that interaction as well as, uh, I thought it was just like a cool timeline to flip back to. So that solves your point there. So you're seven of eight so far. So next one, uh, he says, Captain Marvel will suck and or be inconsequential. Says best case for Captain Marvel. She's Jason Tatum's sophomore year. Good numbers, but overall disappointing. The worst case, it's the John Wall contract and no other superhero team wants to take the trade, even if they throw in... Uh, Bradley Beal, who's in this case, is Black Widow. Um, yeah, you're really more on like a Jason Tatum track here. Um, she really kicks butt in this movie, even though she's not aged at all from her independent movie, which maybe that's part of her superpower plethora of powers kit. Maybe she doesn't age often, but uh, it's a little bit of an inconsistency there. Um, and she doesn't have a ton of time but the time she does have in the movie she kicks some serious but i mean she basically just rips thanos's mothership in half by blasting herself through it and she almost goes one-to-one with him with the infinity gauntlet on which is pretty crazy um and she's kind of this frontliner for this one scene in the movie 
where all of the kind of lady Avengers step up together and they get this really nice wide angle pan of them. Uh, so she's sort of this new figurehead, even though her personality isn't quite there. And maybe the one good thing is they alluded to in the comics, there's a little bit of a romance between Captain Marvel and uh, War Machine. So be an interesting thing to happen, especially considering the interviews we mentioned in the past on here with her, with Brie and Don Cheadle that didn't go over so hot. So she's not inconsequential, but she, we don't really get anything extra about her. Um, she kind of just comes in, nukes the base, fights Thanos for a second. And that's pretty much it. Um, then Michael's, one of his other predictions here is the Avengers kill Thanos in the first half of the movie, but because of time travel, there's another past Thanos for them to also kill. Um, and he even goes further to says he thinks Thor is the one that actually kills Thanos because Cap is not a killer and Iron Man, uh, it'd be too selfish if he killed Thanos and you're uh, you're right technically uh they actually kill thanos in like the first 20 minutes of the movie well, present thanos and it is thor who takes the stormbringer and just guillotines his head off and when it comes to past thanos iron man technically kills him because iron man snaps the fingers and all of Thanos' goonies vanish, you know, get dusted. Um, but yeah, you're right. So, so far you're eight of nine. So now uh, Michael has some death predictions. He says uh, 100% on Iron Man dying in some self-sacrificial way to complete his arc. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely right. It's kind of the crux of the movie. That's 99% of it is really the ending of Iron Man. And uh, while it seems self-sacrificial, it kind of actually helps out the Avengers when you think about it. So if we go back to the past couple Avengers movies, honestly, he's and even Civil War, I mean, he's kind of been a little bit of a problem for the rest of the team. I mean, he basically made Ultron. He was fought Captain America, you know, basically was the other half of the Civil War argument. Uh, he's done some selfish things along the way. So it's not necessarily terrible because Iron Man would probably try and make another Ultron. I mean, let's be honest, or he would really screw around in the time stream that he invented. I mean, they kind of reference this in the movie when he first figures out how to do it. He says, man, I feel like I should just throw this in a lockbox at the bottom of the ocean for the whole can of worms that it's going to open up. So you're 100% right there. Uh, he also says Captain America rides off in the sunset. doesn't quite ride off in the sunset. He, uh, at the very end of the movie, part of restoring the time stream that they believe will sort of reunite all these branching timelines that they made exist is to return the stones back to the time that they stole them from so that they never technically go missing. Therefore all of the timelines line back up and Captain America does this. But then of course 
the oldest stone is the one that puts him back in time with Agent Carter. And of course, he is a sexy man at this point. And he lives out the rest of his life with her. Uh, gets married. I think they have kids. And uh, we see him at the very end. He's like 80 years old or something. And he actually gives... Uh, he actually gives... What's his name? Falcon? The original Captain America shield kind of passing the torch off. And it's kind of interesting because in that same scene, Bucky seems to kind of know what happened. Um, so maybe Bucky's a good guy now. Uh, so yeah, you're, I'd say that's riding off in the sunset in the past. Uh, so you saying Hawkeye lives kind of the point of reintroducing him at the beginning. Yeah. It's really a reintroduction to, allow somebody to love somebody enough so that you can sacrifice a soul for a soul for the soul stone um how says thor lives goes back to rebuild space um you're about 50 percent there so thor's alive but he's still kind of a fat ass um and he then at the end he kind of relinquishes his throne to valkyrie to be the head of new asgard which is somewhere in like Greenland or something. And then he tags along with the Guardians of the Galaxy for Guardians 3. So I think that's funny because Thor always has been that kind of a little bit of a comedic character. So that should fit well. Hulk lives. Yeah, that's true. He's a little incapacitated right now because of him using the gauntlet. But he's alive. He's not dead or anything. Um, Scarlett Johansson dies. Her death will have a greater emotional weight. It really doesn't. Um, they really milk Iron Man dying really hard. I mean, the last half hour of the movie is just a funeral scene practically. I mean, it's it's pretty... They almost breeze past the Black Widow death for somebody who is so integral in kind of forming the Avengers, kind of being Nick Fury's arm. So... Now he's got one more set of points here. That is, he believes the MVP is Iron Man. He fills up the emotional box score with monologues, witty throwaways, and selfless decision-making. Yeah, pretty pretty much that. I mean, his acting has been spot on now that he's kind of turned the role into whatever he wanted it to be. Um, if I had to pick another MVP... Oh. I mean, I guess technically Ant-Man is the one within the plot that really kind of fixes everything. Um, if he never got out of the time travel, if he never got out of the quantum realm, I mean, they'd be stuck in a snapped universe. Uh, and then he says, I guess he picks a superstar team of his Avengers lineup. And so he picks at point guard, Captain America. And he says it's a more athletic Micah Conley and doesn't choke in the playoffs like Lowry. Pretty solid there. Uh, good distributor, good team player. Doesn't really get too hot or too cold. So then he has a two guard as Ant-Man. He keeps shooting and gets hot. Kind of like the 2012 Mario Chalmers. 
Um, yeah, pretty erratic. I'd say maybe more like a J.R. Smith. He either goes really cold or really hot. Has some good moments. Has some kind of dumbfounded moments. Uh, at small forward, he has Iron Man because that practically throws out the red carpet for an MVP campaign. Uh, then he says at Thor because he'd basically be the super bulky combo of Ennis Canner and Steven Adams. Uh, yeah, it's pretty solid there. I think he's the strongest person next to the Hulk, and that's why he puts the Hulk at center. And uh, then he goes on to joke and says that the sixth man will be Will Williams because he's actually a freaking superhero for scoring like 30 points on Clay consistently. Um, and this team would never actually work because they're all white. Big SJW moments in this movie, by the way. Uh, people are really upset at Captain Marvel's screen time. We addressed that in the past. Uh they also actually explain in the movie that she's trying to fix the snapping on other planets at the same time as well as Earth. So there's a good excuse for her not to be in the movie. As well as they filmed it before her own movie. So they didn't know she was going to be this popular. As well as people are fat shaming Thor, which is interesting because you would never body shame uh, Captain Marvel for not having a butt. So, well, interesting there. Um,. He says the pitiful turning print in the series is when Ant-Man casually throws up time travel as a halftime buzzer beater and it propels them to a third quarter run and they never look back. Yeah, that's pretty much it. They got to do some convincing though uh, for Tony's part, but yeah, that's that's pretty much the turning point. And the most uh, WTF moment, of course, is how they try and explain the time travel. Makes no sense to modern day stuff uh there's a interesting youtube video i can't remember what brand what brand did it but it was a some physicist wrote a from minnesota i think wrote a book on superhero physics and they take all these bits from avengers and the other marvel movies and they explain with physics if they could actually work like um like, could Captain America's shield really stop that kind of bullet? Or could Spider-Man really do this kind of strength maneuver? All sorts of things like that. And they talk about the time travel in there, and they say it's a whole bunch of vocab mumbo-jumbo made to sound really smart and doesn't really answer any of the problems and they aren't consistent on if it's a unified time stream or multiple branching universes. So that's kind of it right there. Um, and that's really one of the biggest problems people have with the movie is that. Um, and there's two other problems that people have with the movie in terms of consistency that just don't make sense plot-wise, like kind of plot hole things that, that people have addressed in interviews since then. But one is, uh, so in the movie, uh, Thanos, is, Thanos from the past is able to time travel to the, f to the present day uh, because he had his past Gamora disguise herself as present-day Gamora or not Gamora, Nebula, sorry, and get uh, jumped back into the present 
and then in sort of while everybody is doing the snap the unsnap i guess she goes in the time travel machine and gives thanos her coordinates and then his whole freaking mothership shows up in low earth orbit um people have a problem with that because basically people think then oh thanos had time travel way back in 2014 and what ended up happening was is uh, him and that one crazy metallurgy scientist dude that's on his ship reverse engineered pim particles in the meantime that the avengers were doing their stuff and figured out how to do it for a whole ship eh it's a marvel movie i mean can't have a great explanation and then the next uh consistency issue is we see in sort of the beginning of the final battle of this movie it's iron man cap and thor fighting thanos without with nobody having any stones or any gauntlets it's just thanos and body armor with his double-edged sword and thanos just destroys those three you know we get a sick moment where cap picks up mjolnir but uh power level wise i mean those three were holding off a gauntleted thanos back in infinity war so it kind of doesn't make sense that they couldn't hold together a younger thanos but the theory here and it kind of makes sense is that when you use the gauntlet or the stones it sort of drains some of your life force and makes you weaker and it kind of makes sense i mean we see in the movie when other people try and use the gauntlet and even Thanos in the present day Thanos post gauntlet post snap we see it just absolutely takes such a heavy toll on the body you might as well just lose that half of your body um just wrecks Hulk obviously it kills Iron Man uh and it basically puts Thanos to the point of being like wheelchair bound so maybe in all of his bouts in Infinity War of using a Space Stone or Time Stone or or whatever to kind of gradually fight the Avengers, he's, his strength and life force got weak enough so that when that final battle came around, it could the Avengers cast could hold him off relatively easy. So that's that's two of the biggest plot holes that people had. Um so I think the where you know how does this movie end because most of the Marvel movies kind of set up the next one pretty easily. And so the easiest time our uh pathway to the next movie I see is you know the Guardians are obviously in the middle of this fight and Thanos has brought his mothership from 2014 back to the fu- back to the present and in doing that he brought in a nine a, f- a five year younger Gamora into the present but the present day Gamora of course died on Vormir so there's an interesting interaction of course with her and Star-Lord and we don't see where she ends up at the end of the movie but what we do see is when thor decides to join the guardians to become the ass guardians of the galaxy uh we see on sort of the ship hud is star lord with a map 
that says Searching for Gamora. So that's probably the plot line for the next Guardians, I would guess. That's really the best plot line going forward because we don't get a post-credit scene in this movie. This movie really ends with 80-year-old Captain America tossing his shield to Falcon. We get a lot of sort of setups for... Okay, here's sort of the the second wave of Avengers. You know, we've got the Captain Marvel. We've got Bucky and Falcon. We got Spider-Man. We've got maybe Iron Maiden, uh, Ant-Man and Wasp, uh, maybe Doctor Strange. Hulk looks pretty much out of it. Um, you know, we still got that sort of Guardians tangent. Um, so so we get a lot of setup of like, oh, well, here's a bunch of pieces we have to work with, but we aren't going to sort of put any balls in motion yet. And the only one that kind of has any motion is that Guardians train I just mentioned. And there is a post-credits thing, but it's not really a scene. It's just um, sort of the sound of of Tony banging his first Iron Man together in that desert in Saudi Arabia in 2008. Which maybe, maybe if we think super far into it, maybe that is referencing that some in some multi-dimensional time way they can bring Iron Man back. But I think most people are taking it as sort of this envelope of closure to what's kind of started this 10-year cycle of MCU. Uh, so we'll have to see how the snapping and the unsnapping and this multi-dimensional theory impacts the new Spider-Man, which I'm probably going to go see just to see how they tie it into the movie because uh, in the trailers, I mean, we see that Tony's there. So it's got to happen before or it's a parallel universe or something. Um, and like I said, Black Widow is probably a prequel, but maybe it's an alternate timeline sequel. And we've got sort of some weird guys coming down the stream with the Eternals, as well as I think there's a Doctor Strange 2 and a Black Panther 2. Um, I'm sure they're thinking about where they can fit Captain Marvel in there. And of course, Guardians 3. So anyways, that's everything I can think about off the top of my head for Avengers End Game. It really was the end of a game. It was really a good movie to go see. I don't usually go to theaters. I usually torrent stuff, but man, was that worth the money? I didn't go pee once, even though it was almost four hours long. Uh, really worth my money. Um, you know, CG's just world-class, as always. And so is the music. I mean, geez, they really... They really kind of set you home with the, uh, that Avengers theme at really emotional moments. So I'm happy to go see it. I think the next movie I'm going to go see is Detective Pikachu, just because why not? And it'll probably be Spider-Man. And then it'll be Star Wars, because we got another one of those this year that Disney's running into the ground. So anyways, let me know what you guys think about Avengers Endgame, uh, as well as I believe the final tally for Michael is like 15 of 16. So uh, that's pretty doggone good. Not that uh, 
it all wasn't completely obvious, but the whole nebula thing, I think, is something nobody would have predicted right away. Um, so otherwise, uh, we do appreciate your feedback as well as your questions, comments, and concerns. There's going to be no video attached to this episode just because it'd be me on a blank screen. However, if you do like this content, please give it a thumbs up, a like, a share, whatever you guys like to do with that kind of stuff these days, as well as stay tuned for a return to NBA commentary next time on Heart in the Paint Podcast. <laughs>